Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with Matthew Henderson, founder of Matthew Henderson Creative Ideas and Solutions. Matt was previously Head of Commercial Operations and Development at Beamish Living Museum, where an abundance of innovative ideas drove their commercial income. We talk a lot about product development and how to develop commercial products and experiences that truly reflect your organisation. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Matthew, it is absolutely brilliant to have you on the podcast today. I'm just going to tell you, you have been like one of the most recommended people to me ever to come on. Oh, really? That's... So many people. You've got to get Matthew on. You need to get Matthew on to chat to. And finally, we are here. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's an amazing thing to hear. But yeah, thank you for inviting me on. It's a, a real honour to be on it. Oh, chuffed. Oh, it's going to be good. Okay, right. I've got some icebreakers for you. I want to know, what is your favourite crisp flavour? Favourite crisp? Uh, changes regularly, if, but at the moment it's probably squares, just for how vinegary they are. Oh, the sort of vinegar ones, yeah? Yeah, I would go with them, but occasionally a knick-knack I would go for as well, which is quite a controversial opinion. Spicy knick-knack, or what was the, did they used to do like a, a hang on, they did like a fishy one, didn't they? It was quite Yeah, nice. yeah, I wouldn't go near that, but yeah, yeah. the spicy one, yeah, that's, uh, normally I'm a chicken korma kind of guy, but uh, yeah, I can handle a knick-knack spice. Spicy knick-knacks, uh, I'm with you on that one, that is a good solid crisp flavour. Right, good, okay, if you had your human body, but the head of an animal, what animal would you choose? Um, strangely, I actually do have a pet owl, so I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like just to keep on the theme, yeah, probably an owl. I mean, their um, their eyesight. Although, given I think their their skull is taken up by three three quarters of their skulls taken up by their eyes, so their brain is very small. So maybe I'll retract that. But wise old owl is quite a myth, but they are sort of um, very attractive, aren't they? So they are. Wow. Um. Oh, God, so many questions. You've got a pet owl. You're like Harry Potter. This is incredible. How, yeah. how have you got a pet owl? Well, yeah, it's sort of um, a bit more Ron Weasley than Harry Potter, I'd say, with <laughs> the, the ginger hair. But, um, yeah, so growing up, I used to um, help my grandma at a uh, nature reserve. And, um, and she every weekend, she used to take me um, to there on the Saturday and then the Bird of Prey Centre on the Sunday. It was just the sort of thing that we always did. Uh, and I ended up volunteering there and fell in love with it. And then um, I handed this little tawny owl who, when he came in, was written off that he'd die overnight. He was so unwell. And I think a cat had tried to eat him, all this sort of tragic story. Um, and then every day he got a bit stronger to the point where um, he used to come home with me every night. We'd go to Tesco together because you he, he couldn't leave. He was kind of in my hoodie pocket. Um, and then when I sort of stopped volunteering there and, and got a job, um, he would have died of heartbreak, really, from from, and I think so would I by that point. So, fourteen years on, uh, he still lives with me. Um, probably the funniest thing that's ever happened with Bug is, at, uh, you know, when everyone did Zoom quizzes during lockdown. Yeah. And uh, my friend works for Capital FM, and we Bug just the owl, Bug the owl, just happened to be in the background while we were playing this quiz, and my friend from there was on. To which he told Roman Kemp the next day about Bug the Owl at work. <laughs> to which uh, Roman Kemp then FaceTimed me the next day to see Bug the Owl. And then me and Bug co-hosted Capital Breakfast for 20 minutes one morning. It was just, you know, you just think lockdown life couldn't get any stranger. And then uh, you describe him what an owl looks like on Capital FM. <laughs> 
Matt, this question has gone to a place that I was really, <laughs> like never <laughs> expecting it to go to. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. We could get him at the end. Oh, my God, please. I would love to meet Bug. And also, my heart has just melted massively from that story. Oh, yeah, I love him. Absolutely incredible. My friends always say that I should do TikToks with them because uh, I have a dog as well and the, the owl will sit on the dog's head and groom her and they'll play together. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, if I had more time, they'd probably be a TikTok, uh, TikTok oh, account for them. You have to make that a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even, I would download TikTok just for that. Yeah. Just, yeah. just for you and Bug and your dog. Yeah, for this year. Oh my God. Oh, honestly, Matt, I wasn't expecting that response. That's 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 got me. It's got me all so, the feelings. In a roundabout way, I think I would have an, an owl's head as a <laughs> as a head and a human body. <laughs> and an excellent reason why. Yeah. <laughs> um oh, well, my next question, this is random. Um my next question was have you ever met a famous person and lost your tiny mind a little bit? But I, I don't know if Roman Kemp is enough to make you lose your mind. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I actually met Russell Brand. Um, this is another sort of bizarre lockdown story, just as it happens. But I went to his um, gig at, um, in, he did an outdoor socially distanced gig. And then at the end, he walked past and I got a selfie with him, to which I just put it on Instagram. It was, we hadn't broken any rules. It was all fine. And the Daily Mail lifted that photograph and ran it on the front page of their website um, with a story around Russell Brand refusing to social distance, which wasn't true. But um, yeah, he ended up on Hollywood Report and all sorts. And uh, I managed to have a Zoom call with him afterwards to talk about it. And, and he absolutely loved it. But yeah, meeting him was amazing. And then my ultimate hero is Mike Skinner from the streets. I have his lyrics tattooed. Um, and that this is probably the only time in life I've been absolutely speechless. I just could not say a word when I met him. Um, and he was very nice and very polite. But um, yeah, meeting him was, um, was yeah, pretty amazing. Oh, my God, Matt, I want your life. <laughs> <laughs> we might go downhill from there. I think they're the only sort of two impressive <laughs> odd stories. Um, they're probably the best answers to any icebreaker questions that I've ever asked. <laughs> it's quite nice because they don't naturally come up in conversation either of those points. But uh, yeah, maybe that's the art of icebreaking. Absolutely. Totally fascinating. Right. Well, I don't know where this is going to go, but um, what's your unpopular opinion? Uh, my unpopular opinion is that uh, I've never had tea or coffee and I've no desire to. You've never had a brew. You've never had a cup of tea. You've never, never had... had one. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking. And I actually went on a half day course about coffee once. Um, and uh, so I've smelt it and learned all about it. But um, yeah, it's not for me. I think the coffee one I can I, I, I can get. Like, I think that there's quite probably quite a few people that because tea and coffee are very, very different. I can, and I can understand that. But to never even have tried a little sip of tea. <laughs> yeah, n- nobody's ever really that impressed with it. Yeah, maybe it's TikTok and tea this year. Maybe that's the aims. This is the two goals. <laughs> 2023 we're coming at you yeah. about two or three years ago i tried to grape for the first time much to all my friends amusement and, <laughs> and i remember afterwards my friend ben who's um a very he's a um a very loud lad and he took me one side and said i'm so proud of you for trying that mate <laughs> so i just loved like how genuine he was <laughs> oh matt this is all uh, it's already my favorite podcast sorry everyone <laughs> matt's got me in tears here all right, okay. Let's start where it all began, shall we? Let's talk about Beamish. So you were there for ten years, and you started out as a costume demonstrator. Yeah, that's right. And then your path went 
further and further and further in. Yeah, it's the best thing I ever did. So, um, like I sort of mentioned, my grandma used to run a, a nature reserve, a, a little small cafe and gift shop, and she would let me organise the Christmas tree fairs when I was little, and sometimes I'd do little markets and fundraisers and stuff. So, I think looking back, I was always sort of destined to have a career in tourism from that because. Um, my mum always laughs that I was more excited about seeing the gift shop than I was the attraction a lot of the time, <laughs> which when you look back, it's so, so obvious, really. Um, but from there, I started volunteering at the, the Falconry Centre, which is obviously where Bug the Owl came from, um, and got really in, interested in the sort of business side of it and the, the customer service side. And I was studying business at college, um, at One College. And they said to me, why don't you um, go and try somewhere else on work experience? And I was I was like, no, no, like I'm going to work at the Falconry Centre. That's my sort of thing I'm going to do. And they were like, why don't you just go for sort of four half after, half days, like four afternoons uh, to Beamish, which was about 20 minutes up the road, um, and just see what it's like. And instantly, within about an hour of being there, I realised it was the people that I loved working with. And for all, I loved the animal side, that it was that tourism, that business, that people, yeah. and that culture that I loved. Uh, and then, yeah, from there, I think I had sort of um, seven different jobs, but I progressed from uh, work experience to being a volunteer to then a costume demonstrator. And that's how it kind of started. Amazing. Uh, so many people start their career at one level in an attraction and just work and work and work. And that's what happened, isn't it? So ultimately, you ended up as head of commercial operations. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, um, so several different jobs and um, was really fortunate with my time at Beamish that I did an apprenticeship, um, which I'm really sort of proud to have come for a non-traditional route into the sector. And then, yeah, and then did an assistant role and an officer role and started, did a maternity cover and, and all these sort of um, real um, brilliant opportunities from Beamish led to that head of commercial role, um, which was my sort of final role at the museum. Yeah, so Beamish, to give context to people that that don't haven't haven't been to Beamish or don't or don't know understand what it is, it's a living museum, isn't it? And you've got you've cut, you've kind of got like little mini attractions within this attraction itself. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, definitely. So it's a yeah, it's a living museum. It's around four hundred acres in size, um, and Beamish tells the story of everyday life in the northeast in various different time periods. Um, but the majority of the buildings have been moved brick by brick or stone by stone and recreated. So the buildings themselves are as much as part of the museum and the the museum's collection as as the objects inside it. But they use everyday um, objects to to tell the life. Um, to sorry to tell the story of of life in the northeast. So rather than having it in a glass case, um, and obviously there is there's a need to protect some objects in the in the museum's collection and stores. So sometimes it's replica, but the majority of it is is real collections that have been real really used. Whether that's a teapot or a um, a post tub or, or how how can that history be brought to life? Um, so yeah, it's um, there's some amazing museum living museums around the world. Um, I think Beamish is, is one of the standouts, really. Yeah, I think um, like the term immersive is being thrown around like a bit willy-nilly at the moment. But for me, that is a really immersive museum experience, isn't it? Because when you go, people are in traditional costume and you can go and see things being made. Like Matt very kindly, uh, people that are listening that won't be able to see this, but Matt very kindly sent me some sweets in the post from Beamish, which I'll just show on camera here. And the sweets get handmade in the shop and you can go and see that happening and using all the traditional methods. So it's a, it is a, a fantastically kind of immersive museum experience that you can get involved in. Um, so everything's going swimmingly and then all of a sudden there's a global pandemic. Yeah. And life takes a bit of a turn, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Uh, so I was working on product development at Bamish at the time. So we've been doing a lot of um, really exciting work about how could we use the museum's collections to to create products um, that truly reflected that experience. And and Bamish is a dream for that kind of thing because there is, like you say, there's so many sort of hands-on opportunities and there's so many stories to be told. And I think my favorite, one of my favorite things about working in Bamish was that you have these pockets of specialism right around the museum. So you could go and have a conversation with the curator of transport and and learn like the intricacies of of sort of steam and uh, trams and buses, and then try and come up with product from that. Or you could go and uh, speak to the gardening team or the horse team. Um, so we were making all this sort of exciting product, and then yeah, the um, the museum was on the rise. It had been uh, visit numbers been going up, income had been going up. And then, yeah, the gates were shut and 95% of the income comes from visitors. Uh, and suddenly there was a need to to try and diversify and to engage that audience, um, which is, is where some of the sort of um, work that we did during lockdown came from. And some of the things that you did are absolutely brilliant. So I saw you speak at the Museum and Heritage Awards last year and you shared some of the things that you did during lockdown that helped to drive revenue Um and they're just they're so so good some of the examples that you shared are just so creative and so genius can you tell us a little bit about some of them yeah so the first thing we did was um set up an online shop um so the idea being that we didn't want it to feel like a traditional online shop we wanted it to reflect the museum experience where you can go into the sweet shop and buy sweets you can go into the uh, cooperative store and buy biscuits you can go into the various different sort of um exhibits and, and participate like the chemist for instance has a, a cold cream that's um, a recipe from 100 years ago. So we set up that online shop um, and literally um, a, sort of between a very small team of us um, used our existing ticketing platform. Um, and it was a little bit like a, an episode of The Apprentice, really. There was like no budget. <laughs> <laughs> there was a half a platform there for us to use. And, and how could you turn this around? Um, and I think because everyone at Bames has such passion for it, it was it was um, a very concerning time, but also a very exciting time, thinking that we could could try and drive some income. And we started seeing support from around the world. People were ordering these sort of tins of sweets and uh, uh, all this sort of product development work that we'd been doing. It was actually perfectly aligned that we had these unique products that could be sold. And then we started to think, well, how else could we use online? So the head of learning, Simon Woolley, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, person, he started doing uh, school lessons, so he would do murder mysteries online and Victorian school lessons for schools around the world. And um, me and him said, uh, there surely must be an opportunity for homeschoolers here. Um, so we started putting Victorian lessons on for homeschoolers where they could order a slate and pencil in the post from the online ah. shop. Uh, and then Simon would essentially sort of scare them for an hour uh, as a Victorian headmaster. And the, the deal was basically with um, with the parents that we'll look after your kids for an hour, you have an hour off and they can participate in this living museum. Then we did things like um, afternoon tea deliveries. So we have amazing, have amazing bakers. Uh, they came uh, to the museum and created these unbelievable afternoon teas. Um, along with tea and coffee um, that um, were sourced from local suppliers and, and branded as Beamish, uh, specific blends for them. And we sent out costume staff to deliver them. So you could only order yes. them. You could order them from around the world, but you could only deliver the. They would only be delivered in the northeast. 
because we wanted to deliver them by hand safely, but uh, in full costume. And uh, I remember a quote that came from uh, Jeff, who was one of the um, one of the costume team that was delivering them. Uh, and he said, people ordered them from as far and wide. Uh, people ordered them from far and wide for the nearest and dearest, the United States, Australia and Europe. And occasionally there were real tears of gratitude from the receiver where it felt a privilege to be bringing a ray of happiness to someone. Oh, and, and that sums it up for me, really. That is incredible, isn't it? Because it wasn't only about generating income, it was about keeping connected with that community. And 50% of Beamish's audience is local. Um, so being able to sort of literally go to the doorstep of, of 1,200 people, which is like the equivalent of visiting every family that came on a bank holiday, if you think in terms of scale of, of two or three drivers out there for a few weeks delivering them. Um, and that was a really special thing. Um and then I think probably we still we started wholesale ventures. So we started selling to the likes of Fenix and farm shops when uh, retail shops could be open, but museums and, and visit attractions weren't. Um, just as diversifying income, and that was like again about generating income, but also that um, that connection with people. And and it was really exciting for those shops when Beamers were turning up in full costumes with these handmade suites. <laughs> and, and, and keeping that name out there, that um, that sort of museum alive. But I think for me, the most special thing was um, we were faced with the prospect that maybe Father Christmas's Grotto wouldn't go ahead. And how could we do an online offer of that was the, the challenge put forward. Um, so we did for 13 hours a day, we did Zoom calls with Father Christmas. Um, we around sort of well, well over a thousand children uh, took part in that. And every 10 minutes, Father Christmas would call a different family uh, and would have these absolutely amazing moments where uh, grandparents would join in the call and seeing their children engage, their grandchildren engage with Father Christmas. And you would see parents, grandparents just in, in floods of tears seeing these really special moments because... We could collect information in advance that Father Christmas could use to make it even more special, um, and really did sort of uh, bring the bring the magic. So that was uh, me and Father Christmas and a, and a small team for sort of hours a day, um, and it was just a really special way of um, of connecting with that audience. So there's so many different ideas there as well, Matthew. I mean, obviously you've got you know you've got your team around you as well. How did you how did you go about like? working out what you were going to do? Because I, I can imagine that there were more ideas that actually didn't happen as well, right? So how did you work out that process of going, yeah, that's the one, we'll, we can run with that? No, these ones, they're just not going to work for us. Yes. So I think um, essentially there's a, a little bit of looking at the resource that was available um, and the the sort of finances behind it. Um, um, if it was a nice thing to do, was it, um, was it at least going to sort of generate a small income? And then what were the things that were going to really drive income for the museum? Uh, and Rhiannon Hiles is the, the CEO Bamish was incredibly supportive um, as she was sort of leading the museum and um, me and her would have these conversations where one of us would come up with an idea and um, the Father Christmas thing actually started out that it was going to be pre-recorded videos and it was her that said no this needs to feel exactly like the experience at the museum we need to create that magic so um, yeah just really great sort of support from her um, really great team that um, were willing to to give everything a go um, and it was just a real chance to uh, to bring commercial to the front of, of everything the museum was doing. And I think from there, um, we really did connect with that audience. Um, I remember on one of the Father Christmas calls, a parent had written that a, a child no longer believed in Father Christmas because the last time they saw him was in America and he had an American accent. 
uh, and our father Christmas luckily could speak um, different languages. So straight away he said, lovely to meet you. So say if it was Bethany, he said, lovely to meet you, Bethany. I, uh, I saw you last time in Florida, didn't I? And you could see a little bit of magic. He said, the thing is, wherever I go, I change my accent, I change the language. Like when I go to France and then spoke in fluent French. Uh, uh, and you could see this this kind of like moment where the magic was just literally back in that house. It's like on a film, you know, where you sort of see the, the sort of stars coming back <laughs> in and, and it's back to life. So, And uh, you could see the joy in a parent's face. And you think, hey, if, if we hadn't been allowed to do those calls, if what would that magic have been for her in, in these horrible circumstances? Equally, on the flip side, our Father Christmas only really knew French and English. So we were, <laughs> we were hoping there was not going to be any last-minute requests as we kind of moved on the conversation. So you saw magic in one in one window and sweat in another yeah, fear window. fear behind the, uh, the Zoom screen, yeah. <laughs> Father Christmas sometimes had a, um, a little auto-cue that, uh, that I could give him prompts on. And uh, yeah, we had um, we had a, a great time doing those oh, those things. Oh gosh, it's incredible to go to that level of detail as well to be able to put that magic back is is absolutely phenomenal. What what you mentioned that uh, you, you you said that everyone was wanting to give it a go, and I think that's something that's really important to talk about because there was a level of like during the pandemic. Well, let's just try it, right? What 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 can go? What what can we do? can't do anything worse than actually is what's happening right so let's just give it a go so people were quite brave in some of the things that they were doing do you think that's got lost a little bit now do you think people are a bit more cautious about what they're doing I think there's um, definitely a, a thing where the day-to-day takes over again and I think there's a real opportunity to to look at sort of strategy and, and giving uh, the opportunity for teams to come up with ideas creative ideas and, and then allowing them to happen I think with with Beamish, I'm not certain we would have made an online shop within the sort of the the last few years because the, you're managing multiple different exhibits, outlets, operations, and it was never sort of creeping to the top of the priorities list. So I think the pandemic offered an opportunity to to really question what you were doing and, and to, like you say, give things a go. Um, and Beamish has, has certainly carried on that sort of innovation. And, and with Rhiannon as CEO, I'm, I'm sure that'll continue. Um, but yeah, I think there is um, there is perhaps a thing where the day-to-day takes over um, and I think, yeah, it's maybe coming together through things like the podcast that, that you do and uh, the work the Association for Cultural Enterprise does and Museum and Heritage Show and hearing those inspirational stories. And I think we've all got those moments where you sit and hear somebody speak and then you just can't wait to get back to where you work to try and to try and sort of pivot from that that point, really. Yeah, it's the same with me. To be honest, I went on a, on a marketing, um, a new business and marketing workshop uh, last week and came out of that completely and utterly inspired by the, by the people that were delivering the course by the people that were on the course with me as well and now it's it's now we're kind of back in the day-to-day day-to-day you know doing you have to really be careful to to make sure that you carve out the time to do those things don't you you know you have to give you have to give time for innovation you have to give time to be creative because you need that you need the headspace to be able to actually do it don't you Definitely. And I think if you're working in a visitor attraction, there's a lot to be said around the fact that it is a joy to work in these places because the whole purpose of them is to bring joy to people. So for me, it's often about sort of standing and and looking at the attraction, walking through it when it's busy, sort of hearing those conversations, working front of house. Um, And then I I always find there the moments when you realise, oh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was 
I started uh, as a costume demonstrator and that was the thing that I loved. So every time you got the opportunity to work with the visitors, to work with those people, it reignited that passion of, oh, this is why we're here. So for all um, in management, you might sort of step further away and you might be more in sort of meetings and the like. I think it's about still being connected and, and realising why we're all in this this industry. Yeah. Off off podcast earlier when, when Matthew and I were chatting, we actually had a conversation about how, our earliest memories are from attractions, aren't they? They're, they're from places that we've been to. So I can remember, you know, one of my earliest memories is feeding the ducks at a place called Forty Hall in Enfield. It's it was it's a lovely it's a lovely heritage home. Um, it's got beautiful grounds. It was really close to where my nan and granddad lived. So we used to always visit my nan and granddad and then go there afterwards. And it is it's one of my earliest memories of really really happy times. And it's a visitor attraction. So we have to remember the impact that we're having on people from from a really really young age and and that's quite that's a that's a huge responsibility and also something wonderful to be part of yeah completely um i went to sovereign hill in uh, australia which is a living museum uh, a few years ago uh, and one of their directors said to me, it's an honour to bring joy to millions of people. And often uh, you might see that joy firsthand, but then it's like you say, you would never really know the impact of that work. You would never know that people like you and me are talking about feeding the ducks all them years later. And I think it's every time you get an opportunity to create something or to work with someone, it's about making it the most special thing. And, and that's how you get that legacy. And uh, and I think for Beamish in particular, um, the people of the North Face have a real love for it because everybody has a connection to it, whether they donated an object, whether they know somebody that used to live in one of the houses before it was moved, whether they went there on a, a school trip. Um, and I think it's about working with, with all those generations. And um, I love the idea that we might create retail products and you don't really know where in the world they're going to end up or who's going to treasure them. Uh, and it's um, yeah, a real honour. And I think you have to keep remembering that especially when sort of day-to-day work maybe sort of takes over or or feels a little heavy. Yeah. So you've moved on from Beamish now. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you're doing. So you, I'm a recent trustee of the Museum of the Broads, um, which That's is a, quite a big responsibility, actually. I'm really enjoying it, but it's all quite new for me. But you've been a trustee for quite a while, haven't you, for the Association for Cultural Enterprises? Yeah, so I, off the back of um, the work that Beamish uh, did during lockdown, um, I've got the opportunity to speak at the Cultural Enterprise Conference um, and then met some of the team there and had kept in touch with Jill, who's the, the brilliant CEO. Um, and then, yeah, the advert went out that they were looking for trustees and it was one of those things I spoke to Rhiannon at Beamish and sort of said, do you think you would apply for this? And she was saying well I think you should and it was her that said why didn't you give this a go and I, I think that's what I was really asking was should I, should I give this a go so I applied and interviewed and yeah it's been one of the best things I've ever done um, connecting with uh, the work of the association um, but also the other board members so sitting on a board with for me like some of my sort of industry heroes really uh, and getting to hear them speak and sometimes I'll be in these board meetings and I'll realize I haven't spoken in in a little while because you're so busy listening to them and you you kind of forget that you're um that you you're part of it really so yeah they've been really welcoming to me and 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 been a, a big part in the decision to to give this um new venture a go yeah, so this is exciting. So I am going to guess that everyone that you've been speaking to there has been really supportive of this. But you have jumped in with two feet and you've set up a new consultancy. I have, yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. 
So where it came from was through the work that I'd been doing and work, the work for the Association for Cultural Enterprise. Um, people had been very kind um, in the sort of words that they were saying about some of the work we'd done. And then often I was uh, visiting other attractions or meeting them and, and helping to sort of come up with creative ideas. Um, so the new sort of venture is allowing that to be a, a full time thing for me so I can offer more support um, to, to these organisations. Um, whether that's on product development, whether that's on um, community co-production, creative strategy. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, very new thing, um, but really exciting. Um, and and like we sort of said at the start, I think from that moment of uh, helping with grammar at the Nature Reserve, you, you kind of look back and it was always meant to be that you would work in tourism. And then this path has sort of uh, has come quite naturally, really. Oh, it's really exciting. And and congratulations on, on getting set up and, and taking Thank the big you. leap into doing it for yourself. Um, how do you so how do you start this process with an attraction because I guess you know just just thinking about what you've been through at Beamish I mean it's it was perfectly set for all of the things that you did you've got this amazing heritage there you've got these artifacts that you can take design elements from for packaging and and you know it was just everything kind of came together so beautifully how do you start to look at that doing those things in a different organization so I think uh, if it's for product development, there's a lot to be said around um, hopefully getting to know the team that are, that are working in the shop. Um, have they, they'll know what sells well and what doesn't and if they have any data to sort of back that up. But a lot of the time those informal conversations of I wish we had a magnet with X on or speaking to the front of house teams of what are the things that the visitors find emotive? What do they laugh at? What do they cry at? What do they take a photograph of? And then how can we draw inspiration from that to create product ranges um, and that's a, a lovely challenge and it takes working with the team um, I think because um, it's a new venture one of the things I'm really keen on is that um, the support isn't a standard package so depending on the attraction I can sort of flex up flex down and take different approaches um, but very much about putting those people at the heart it's not a consultant coming in to say this is how you should be doing it it's more about allowing them to discover this is this is the different way you can do it and we don't all have to have the same um, I keep using magnets but magnets are food and what are the opportunities to support local to create different things yeah. to be sustainable in, in terms of packaging and, and environmental impact um, so yeah really exciting but it's about putting those people at the heart of it all I think because we talk quite a lot don't we about having things that are niche like pro- products and things on your shelves that you can only get at that attraction you know not just the blanket everybody's got these things you know it's just you know another thing with the logo on it um, and I think there's also a big part about at the moment, especially where, you know, we still don't really know what's what's coming this year. Attractions, I guess, are still pretty nervous. You know, they've had a really rough time the last few years and this year might not be that much better. We don't know. But it's thinking about what more they can do with what they already have. So looking at the products they already have and actually, can we improve those rather than something from scratch? What more can we do to make this better? Yeah, definitely. And I think people understandably in, in the sort of current climate are, are even more cautious with money. So it's about making sure that it's an experience, that the experience doesn't shop, stop when you get to the gift shop door, that that carries on. So how can you create product that is reflective of that amazing day they've had, that memory, and that they can take a piece of it home? And I think that's the challenge um, and one that is is really exciting to work with organisations and attractions to do. Um, and not always the the most expensive thing to do. I think there's always ways to find uh, smaller suppliers, local suppliers that can offer that bespoke. 
and offering support both ways. So um, if it's a small producer that works in a, a certain town, reassuring them that, look, it is a risk for you. It is an investment for you to partner with an attraction and to do something bespoke. But look at the, the benefits when this happens. What can we put in place to work both sides? Do we make an agreement that we'll keep stocking it until you've run all those labels out? Because those labels might be a big investment for a, for a small company or a small business. So, yeah, it's uh, adaptable solutions, but making sure experience is key, I think. That's really nice as well, isn't it? Because it builds the partnership between local organisations and therefore you're kind of actively both promoting each other. Yeah, completely. And and I think um, especially now, I think there is so many uh, from lockdown, a lot of people changed their lives didn't they? and a lot of people set up as local producers or suppliers. And if they were there before, I think they had a really rough time during that. Um, and that was one of the things with the work at Beamish was really support and local. Um, and it's such an exciting thing to to find a coffee supplier or a tea supplier not that I'd be sampling either of them. <laughs> Waste, <laughs> wasted fun- on you. <laughs> yeah, a fudge supplier and bring them into the heart of the thing that often they pay to take their family to. And how can you find opportunities to involve uh, them? So could they go to morning briefings and bring everyone a cup of tea to try it? How do you make sure that the person standing behind the till has as much passion about that coffee as the person that makes it? And it's by showing them that connection that every time they get an order that there's sort of a celebration in that office really that wow look we've had another order from this organization that our business is strengthening and that it goes back to the point where the customer is buying something and you want that person selling it to have as much passion so uh, a lot around staff ownership I think is quite key with it. Yeah I love that idea of celebration isn't it that's that's really that's really important isn't it to drive that kind of passion for what you're doing. Yeah completely and I think in in all of our own businesses often that's a private thing isn't it to celebrate it and wow we're chuffed because you have to kind of look cool and and as if um, you don't really need the work or don't but actually it's about sort of really celebrating those moments and I think um, through the the work that the Museum and Heritage Show do and the Association of Cultural Enterprise I think it's about celebrating those moments and, yeah. and, and really enjoying it on a, on a bigger scale but for those local producers I love the idea that someone might buy something local and have a feel-good moment. So, yeah, it's really nice to buy something that's a memory or a part of the attraction, but also that feel-good of supporting the attraction, which is often a charity within the, the cultural heritage sector, but then also supporting local and UK businesses. So, yeah, there's a lot of lovely moments to be had, I think. Isn't there? I've got like a big grin on my face while we're chatting about now it's lovely Matt and I, I think actually we can't talk about celebrating without discussing your recent award because you won quite a fantastic award recently didn't you let's let's talk about it let's celebrate it oh thank you yeah um yeah it was an amazing thing so um my great friend Matthew Hunt who was uh, formerly at the Science Museum um nominated me for Rising Star at the Cultural Enterprise Awards um and then uh, yeah I was sort of blown away that he would even consider that and then somehow won that and literally I mean this isn't something maybe I shouldn't be saying on a podcast but I was literally talking to the person next to me and didn't hear because I just never ever assumed that I would win so went up and was like over the moon to win and and to be in that room full of those peers was um I remember getting back to the hotel I just couldn't sleep sort of reliving that wow but then actually there'd been a um a vote for the overall winner uh, during the conference and and uh amazingly won that as well so um, yeah, it was um, like certainly something that, um, that it was something to send to my mum, really, a photograph of, of those two awards. 
Um, and then the museum had great success as well with best shop for the the market yeah. stores, the local market stores that um, they did in the Museum and Heritage Awards and uh, the Pandemic Pivot Award and best product um, for the cold cream in the chemist shop. So it was lovely as a as a team really at Beamish to to celebrate those wins. And uh, Alison, who's the the um, stock manager at Beamish, we had a little shelf for those trophies, <laughs> and it was just in our little stock room. But um, yeah, it's a really um, really special thing for a team that had had sort of been brought to the front through through lockdown because yeah. of the the needs oh, I think that's wonderful and it's really good like you say it's really important to celebrate all those little wins and they're big wins and they definitely need to be celebrated um it's been phenomenal talking to you today thank you so much for coming on we always ask our podcast listeners to recommend a book that they love for us something that you know might be something that they just enjoy reading to their children it might be something that's helped shape their career in some way what have you got for us today Oh, thank you. So um, I've actually, in between uh, leaving Beamish and uh, and this new venture, I had four weeks off where I went to Namibia to volunteer. So um, my thing was that I was going to take loads of books and, and to sort of read and actually being awoken by lions in the middle of the night and not being able to sleep was a, a need to do that. Um, and I read a book called A Bit of a Stretch by Chris Atkins. Um, and it's not a, a book that would normally jump off the shelf to me, but it's a real story about his time that he spent in Wandsworth Prison uh, after being involved in a, a sort of tax um, avoidance, avoidance scheme. Uh, and it's this day by day diary of his time in Wandsworth. Uh, and the reason that I've picked that is um, I've previously done some community outreach working in prisons. And I think at the moment, everyone's looking at the things that we can see in terms of cuts and the things that need support. But actually for prison and, and, and sort of rehabilitation, it's behind a wall and we never sort of look at it or think about it because it's not in many of our day to day lives. Mm. Um, but that book and that sort of time of the work that I did in there really brought those um, people and those people that work there to the front so uh, I would recommend that I feel like every person in the country should have a copy of that book um, and it's just the most emotive funny book that I've ever read so yeah I would definitely recommend it um, I, you could keep out the lions roaring over the top of it as the, <laughs> the optional but certainly um, yeah I would recommend to anybody to read that. Oh brilliant that great recommendation never been recommended before either as well so this is a new one for us well look listen if you um, want to win a copy of that book as ever if you go over to our Twitter account uh, Twitter account uh, and you retweet this episode announcement with the words, I want Matthew's book, then you'll be in with the chance of winning it. It's been brilliant to have you on, Matthew. I'm so glad that everybody recommended you to come on. I'm so glad that I took their advice. Um, your new venture is called Creative Ideas and Solutions. Your website address is your name, right? It is, yeah. So it's matthewhenderson.net. There we go. We're going to put all of that in the show notes. So if you do fancy a chat with Matt, um, you'll be able to find him there. Matt keep being you because honestly this has been such a delight to talk to you I've loved every single minute of it I hope uh, Bug is well and continues <laughs> to be your best bud thanks so much for the invitation yeah it's a, a real honor so thank you for that no, it's been great and maybe you'll come on again uh maybe come on again next year and you can tell us how things have been going yeah that'd be amazing yeah I'll bring Bug with me <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was hoping for Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.